Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to The Balance, my minions. My name is Tom Marquezel, Presidente. Welcome aboard. My, I am your leader. I am, your, I am on loan from God for the next two hours. 917-889-8516 is our digits. Get ready to kick things off here. Can you believe it? We're only seven days away from the start of the new IndyCar season, and we've got to get used to seeing that word NTT first. So we'll just start it off right here. Seven days away from the NTT IndyCar Series. Uh, standing by in the balance green is Matthew Embry from up at WSBT in South Bend. Going to be talking some IndyCar and going to roll out his uh, official annual gridatology grit, grit subject to change throughout the, the year. And we're going to be talking with him about that. Obviously, St. Petersburg coming up. And then we've got some big news uh, happening regarding the uh, Indianapolis uh, 500 this year. Really big news there. Uh, another team, and of course, we're, we'll, we'll be talking more detail about that here in the next hour. So, also uh, for Speedway Digest joins us in the second hour. We're going to be talking about NASCAR. Great race out in Hotlanta last week. Got it in, even though it rained over the weekend a little bit. And then now the Vegas car, trucks ran last night in Vegas in the desert. And that's right. Roll on, roll ice in Vegas. And then. Uh, coming up at 1030, Underwear Olympics update here in Indianapolis. The NFL Combine underway. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagle and our official NFL contributor, joins us. We're going to be talking about projects and free agencies as well. And also, we'll, we'll have a little conversation with him as he's in the city of brotherly love. One Bryce Harper got a lot of brotherly love, that's for sure. The Bryce was right with him. I haven't been wanting to say that all week. My name is Tom Marcus, President Jake. We'll be right back, right here on the Balance Radio Network. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. 
with over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to The Balance. My name is Sean Mark Marcosel, Presidente, 917-889-8516 is our digits. This is the thing we call The Balance. Joining us now is Matthew Embry from WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. We've got a lot to talk about. IndyCar just seven days away until uh, the, they roll out in the streets of St. Petersburg. It is finally here, Matthew. Are you ready to start saying NTT IndyCar Series? I'll just be IndyCar series until I get used to NTT. It just doesn't come <laughs> off the tongue just as easy. It doesn't roll off like it's supposed to. Yeah, it's just supposed to. It'll it'll just roll off. But hey, we've seen some sponsors coming. Let's talk a little bit about that, and then we'll get into some of the big news that we uh, we saw this week come out of IndyCar that affects the Indianapolis 500. Then we'll get into your gridatology as well. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about why Verizon made that separation from IndyCar and how NTT came about. 
We know at the end of the day that there's just one word that sums it all up, and we could probably just use one word to sum it all up, and that's money. Uh, but let's let's take a little bit of a deeper dive for a few minutes and understand the new sponsorship and why how that changed and came about. And I think right now NTT Data has the more money uh, with the current situation to be able to fund these series and yet also still be a sponsor like they are with Felix Rosenvist, uh, the new driver for Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, keep in mind, Verizon sponsors as many as sometimes two, three, or all four cars for Team Penske, and that's already a pretty decent financial burden there. So as much as they've been a big supporter of as a title sponsor, uh, obviously that saves them a few bucks but also allows them to stay in the series. And at least the good news is they've stayed in the series, unlike some of the other sponsors, like, for instance, Fuzzy's Vodka, who's no longer associated, for instance, now with uh, Ed Carpenter Racing. So at least they're keeping sponsors in there, and now they have a sponsor in NTT Data that, again, is not a big name in the U.S. as of yet, but uh, they're more on the telecommunications uh, Internet futures thing that I think is trying to – uh, seems like Mark Miles is trying to hit upon as far as uh, trying to attract fans. Now, these are also the same NTT data we're familiar with Chip Canassi Racing. Is that correct? I just uh, mentioned that uh, they are the sponsor on the number 10 entry that uh, last year was Ed Jones, this year is Felix Rosenbest. So to put that in perspective, we're used to seeing guys uh, in IndyCar series uh, and Will Power's car obviously being a Verizon car and other Verizon cars. So we're going to see a change in that this year since Verizon is no longer a title sponsor. Are they still teamed up with Penske? Yes, they will be on at least Will Power's car. They will be on Joseph Dugarn's car for a few events. And they also, I guess, will be a co-sponsor on L.L. Cash Davis's Indy 500 ride and also for Simon Pagano. Okay. We'll see what happens here. Obviously, a uh, huge uh, race coming up here in seven days in the streets of St. Peter. Uh, let's talk a bit about that race. It's a, certainly a race that kicks off the IndyCar season uh, every year. And now has an even more special meaning over the last few years as that's the home track of Dan Weldon. Certainly on that case. Uh, obviously, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens as far as the breakthrough drivers. Cause remember last year, uh, the newcomer Robert Wickens uh, almost won the race. And uh, obviously, Robert Wickens still in recovery from his bad crash at Pocono. But uh, I mentioned that uh, Felix Rosenbiss, he's got a solid ride with Chip Ganassi. Uh, he could be the breakthrough driver if you're looking for a guy that maybe catches people by surprise. Uh, Highly regarded, had solid runs in Indy Lights, a limited schedule, has been a very solid driver in the European sports car racing. Uh, if you're looking for a surprise name or the name that you haven't heard of yet that could make a solid run uh, in the opening race, uh, that would be the name I would mention. Yeah, absolutely, and you're kind of fading in and out, so I don't know if you need to move your mic closer to your mouth there. You, you fade out as we, as we, as we talk with you. Uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit about big breaking news. Clawson Marshall uh, team, race Indy racing team, and obviously that's the owned by the father of the of the late uh, Brian Clawson. And Brian Clawson, obviously from here in Indianapolis area as well, died tragically in a uh, a racing accident. I remember Brian Clark very, very well. Uh, but teams up, and it looks like Pippa Mann's going to be their driver. 
the Indianapolis 500. Breaking news this week. Talk with us a little bit about that deal. I'm not. I'm skeptical on this one. Uh, this is a former. That's is a team that runs uh, in dirt track racing. Uh, USAC cars. Uh, this is not a uh, effort that you would see. You know that has never run on a high speed oval. Has never run on an asphalt track. And add to that, they're running a driver that only runs one time a year. And I just don't know how effective that's going to be. And as we'll get to Gritatology, I think Pippa Man, unless there is a technical alliance with someone that we don't know about, yes, they have the Chevrolet engine, but uh, you just can't uh, jump out of a out of a plane and try to make the parachute uh, before you crash on the ground. And I think that's essentially what's happening here. And unlike the expertise of, say, a McLaren Racing, I just have a harder time selling that uh, this car with, a 38 car entry list being possible uh, makes the cut uh, to make the field. It's not saying Pippa Man's not a bad driver. It's just this team, I think, is too due. And considering it's only three months out before the Indy 500, the start of the month of May, I don't know if you could necessarily build a team for the ground up and be competitive right out of the box like that. Well, you're absolutely right. And, and uh, you know, I think a lot of this is just kind of a, to draw attention to the foundation of Ryan Clawson. Uh, a lot of this is in the memory of Brian Clawson. We know Brian Clawson uh, raced for Sarah Carpenter Racing, uh, one race there at the Indianapolis 500. I think a lot of this is about the memory and of Brian Clawson and to help raise money for the foundation. I have nothing – there's nothing wrong with that. I think you're right. There is a an issue with them. Uh, they're going to have to align with somebody. We know that they can't do this alone, and maybe it's Andretti. I'm not sure who going to align with and that will certainly come clear over the next couple of months and as we saw as we saw last year uh, i mean a a gut uh punch to uh uh hinchcliffe uh on bump day now where i think that true fans would have a problem let's 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 make no bones about it peppas did well as far as the qualifying and being able to get it, doing well in in the qualifying week of the Indianapolis 500, so someone that can and they got the Chevy engine as you mentioned. So if there's a driver out there who can qualify, even though she only runs once a year, it is Pippa Man. Now I think the the diehard IndyCar fans uh, might take uh, uh, maybe not offense, but it might be a little the wrong way, no pun intended, if Pippa Man was able to go out there and bump, not necessarily James Finscliffe, let's hope it doesn't happen to him again, but somebody of that caliber out of the race for a one-time race, I think that's going to bump people the wrong way, but that's why we have bump day, and that's what makes Indy, Indianapolis and the Indy 500 so special. Let's talk a little bit about Bump Day this year. We know a little bit about something, and, and we know we're going to have another real Bump Day this year at the Indianapolis Speedway. Okay, let's go over the protocol because it's brand new again. What they will do on Saturday will run from 11 a.m. to 5.50. There are three pods to keep an eye on. One, if you qualify in the top nine, as, you, as in years past, you will advance to the shootout for the poll on Sunday. If you qualify 10 through 30, you are in the field, your position is locked, and you do not have to go back and qualify on Sunday as in years past. So 10 through 30 will be set in stone on Saturday this year. That's a little different. 
Now, if you qualify outside the go to that special session in which only the fastest three cars get on the back row, they go to that last row party or whatever it is the week uh, before the race, and then the cars outside the top 33 after that session go home. So I'd say right now the key uh, to this weekend or the upcoming weekend for Indy is being a top 30 qualifier because uh, you don't want to have to go through the nightmares of having to fight for your life on Sunday just to make the field. No, absolutely, and it's going to be so exciting. I know you and I will be down there at the track as we are every year, uh, and we'll be uh, going through, and, of course, we'll, we have our special IndyCar uh, field of 33, uh, and we'll see where we get at Apollo. So exciting to be talking about the Indianapolis uh, 500. But before that, we've got a few races to happen. Next week is on the streets of St. Petersburg. Talk with us a little bit about that. Obviously, we'll be getting into more detail about that next week, uh, but talk with us a little bit about St. Petersburg about the track, what it's designed to do, talk with us about the stables, and when then we'll get into the famous Matthew Embry's Gritatology. Go right ahead, sir. Well, I think you look at the situation right now with uh, several teams. Uh, obviously, uh, I'll be very curious to see how, you know, getting through turn one with a larger field, there could be as many as 26, 27 cars this time around. So, you know, guys, be careful of that first lap and surviving the first turn, first lap of these restarts. I think it's going to be critical. Uh, beyond that, though, getting off of the first couple quarters and setting up for turn four and then being able to set up for that hairpin, I think those are going to be the key places to overtake. And uh, being able to get off of those corners to set up those moves is going to be critical. Uh I don't know what the rules are on push to pass this year, if they are still running on timed uh, with that instead of pushes and runs or et cetera. But uh, you look at the situations right now, uh, obviously you got to like T. Pesky's chances with the way Will Power's been on road courses. Obviously Scott Dixon's going to be a factor. I'll be curious to see what Alexander Rossi and some of the Andretti guys do uh, looking at their schedule, their record. And then, uh, I think another X factor, obviously, is Ed Jones, a guy who's probably to resurrect his career as the road course specialist for Ed Carpenter after he had a horrendous year last year with Cadassi, only lasted one season. Uh, so I think uh, qualifying is going to be key because, uh, obviously, the difficulty overtakes going to be key. And then, obviously, if we have long green flag runs, uh, being able to get the pit stops done and trying to save power in the pit lane also is going to be a critical, but uh, like I said, surviving that first turn, first lap, and not having the urges to try to win the race in the first lap, I think is going to be one of the big keys uh, to surviving and have a good result, especially for a bunch of new teams. I mean, we have, we talked about Klaus and Marshall, uh, for instance, Dragon Speed uh, has not even tested their car yet. They don't test uh, their car till Tuesday of the week. They'll be at Seabreak for one day, then they'll make their trip over to St. Pete with uh, Ben Hanley. Uh, so you got that question mark, and then uh, it'll be very curious to see if Coast does a last-bit deal, if they make an appearance down there. So ultimately, a lot of unknowns for, you know, the back of the field, but I think at the front of the field, it's going to be about T. Petsky, Ganassi, Andretti, and maybe a challenge, I guess, from maybe Dale Day or maybe Ed Carpenter and Ed Jones. But beyond that, uh, I think it's going to be status quo at the front. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, the contenders and who has a chance to win the, the race uh, come next Sunday. Well, one thing for sure that I, I'm really excited about to talk about, and that is the increased fan base of IndyCar. We've seen IndyCar 
really do a great job on marketing and doing a great job on attracting fans to the track. And we've seen an upward tick. And, and now we could probably even say a upward trend uh, of IndyCar fans. And, and I think NASCAR needs to maybe take a page out of their playbook. But at the same time, let's talk a little bit. Maybe we do have some new novice fans that are listening to us or just people that will just listen to our podcast because we have such an awesome podcast. Uh, thanks for downloading our podcast, by the way. Shameless plug. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the types of tracks. As we know, St. Petersburg is on the streets of St. Petersburg. We see on the streets of Toronto. We see on the streets of Long Beach. Street racing is different than road racing than like we see in Alabama and, and uh, Columbus and, and other uh, road courses. And then we have the ovals, of course, like the Indianapolis 500 as well. And then, of course, the streets of Bel Air. So the street racing are actual streets. Uh, every other day of the week, uh, traffic is going. People are going to and from work, restaurants and whatever. It's just like any other street that you see at any common city. Uh, that's They've just designated a part of that that street to be the track um and the road the road courses are a designated track like an oval but it it is just a road course that that goes through different it's not just an oval and then an oval is what it is so help us understand the differences between the tracks and what teams have to do and how they have to prepare differently for each track I'll be interested to see what happens. I don't know if you saw the news, but uh, Long Beach, uh, questions about the future of that event is there because the Los Angeles Angels are planning on building a new stadium on potentially that uh, race site. Yeah, I saw so that. i curious yeah. to see how that situation lasts. But, uh, yeah, with the street circuits, these are public roads. They're not necessarily paved, so you got to be uh, cognizant of stuff like, you know, running over manhole covers, uh, bumps, all that stuff, and having to – set up accordingly and obviously the grip's not going to be as good uh the permanent road courses elkhart lake uh, road america circuit of the americas it's going to be a fun circuit laguna seca great to see them back on the schedule uh you could run as hard as you want on those tracks because those tracks are upkeep and their purpose is strictly uh racing purposes only and then you get to the high speed ovals obviously like uh, indianapolis pocono texas and uh, you could just uh, let it loose on those circuits. Uh, be very interesting to see how those races run after last year, with guys being a little bit cognizant, a little bit nervous about running side by side. Uh, be interesting to see if the adjustments they made uh, this year will help. And then, obviously, for Indy, with the new sealer that's been put down, uh, we'll see also how effective that is, uh, especially if we have a rain session. If they have problems with the weep, if there's a rain, hopefully that will help with the weeper problem and make uh, these uh, delays as far as getting the track dry a little bit quicker so we can get back to business uh, in a timely manner. Well, absolutely, and you mentioned Indy. I know that's our favorite track, our home track, and you and I go there uh, every year. But one of the, the other races that they have outside of the Indianapolis 500 is the Grand Prix, which is on the road course. And I tell you what, that's just a fun race to watch. And, and you mentioned the rain. They'll run in the rain, and there's really something cool to watch uh, the – the uh, rooster tails come up in the rain. Uh, obviously, we don't want anybody hurt, but they will run in the rain. They have a special design to run in the rain. As you said, it may help that, that weeping thing. But if you've not ever been to the Grand Prix in Indy, maybe you go to the Indianapolis 500, but you don't go to the Grand Prix. I would encourage, if you can get here at all, to go to that. And first of all, it's fun to watch them go the opposite direction. Where we're used to them coming down the home stretch uh, on, on the – 
on the back stretch there and now on the home stretch where the in front of the pagoda, they're coming the opposite direction. So they're coming out of turn four, and uh, I mean they're coming out of turn one uh, into turn four, as opposed to in the oval they're coming out of turn four and going into turn one. So it is kind of a neat course to do. But it's even what what I think is even cooler uh, is the ability to transform that track from a road course to an oval in just a matter of hours. Yeah, obviously that makes things effective, and uh, obviously it takes a lot of upkeep to their staff. Uh, uh, Kevin Forbes was the key to putting that together. Of course, Kevin Forbes is now retired. I don't know who handles that uh, job necessarily now as far as transforming the track between oval and road course setup anymore, but uh, they always do an effective job. And, uh, yeah, within uh, 24, 48 hours, uh, we're ready to go uh, oval track racing right away. So as far as practice, et cetera, Going to be curious to see uh, how things go with that. Uh, obviously, uh, you have a few guys that are focused in on the road course event only, some that are focused on the oval event only. So, uh, ultimately, uh, the situations uh, get down there, and uh, then it's down to business. Obviously, it's two separate events now. And uh, curious to see uh, if uh, someone other than Will Power and Simon Pagano could break through in that uh, IndyCar Grand Prix because as of yet, uh, those are the only two men that have found a way to win the race uh, as far as on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course to date. We're talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor for WSBT up in uh, South Bend. You can follow uh, Matthew in, in various spots. One of the things that Matthew does every year is his uh, gridatology, and it's really good. A lot of it is pretty accurate, and I know it, it changes throughout the year, and he does a special one for the Indianapolis 500. So without, without f- further ado... Matthew Embry uh, unveils his official 2019 bracketology. Go ahead, sir. Let us hear it. All right. Let's talk about the top nine right now. Let's talk about the guys who are on the outside looking in at this point. For row four, uh, Marco Andretti. He has the pace to get in there, but the question is, can Honda give it to him? If Honda gives it to him, I think he can certainly move into that top nine conversation. Tony Kanaan with A.J. Foyt Racing, just missed out on last year, has the Chevrolet engine. I expect him to be a factor. And then just outside the top nine, Ryan Hunter-Ray. Uh, you talk a little bit closer to your mic there, buddy. Just a little bit closer to your mic. There you go. In Ryan Hunter-Ray. But I think ultimately, uh, if Honda provides the engine, he could get back in the conversation as a couple front row qualifying uh, tags next to his name for Indy. And then uh, you look at uh, the top nine. I think it's going to be a Chevrolet-dominated situation. At number nine, I have Ed Jones. Uh, yes, this is the Ed Carpenter Scuderia Corsa car. Uh, we know how strong the Ed Carpenter cars are. While I don't think they're going to be contenders potentially for the pole as they have been in years past, I think you will see them still a contender for you know a top nine starting spot. At number eight, Elio Castroneves. Uh, I think all four Penske cars get into the top nine. Uh, Castrodevis had a good run on pre-qualifying day, but then faded in the quali- final qualifying day when it counted itself. So that's why I have him at number eight instead of higher up. Alexander Rossi at number seven. Uh, just missed out on the top nine last year and then absolutely had a head-scratcher run where he ends up qualifying 32nd. Uh, I don't know if that was due to driver or mechanical. That's still a mystery even to me to this day. But I think he bounces back from that. 
Ed Carpenter at number six. Yes, he won the poll last year, but again, uh, I think the thing that helped him last year, Tom, was the fact that Danica Patrick was on the team. I think it provided a helpful distraction where the pressure was not on him. It was on Danica. Uh, With the focus back on him, I don't know if he's going to be able to get the job done completely this time as far as winning a fourth indie poll, so I have him at six. Uh, Joseph Dugarn at five. Uh, not as strong a qualifier as, say, Pagano or Power. That's why he's down here. And I think uh, Sebastian Bourdais at four. Uh, Dale Coyne Racing the last couple of years has been very impressive in terms of pace and qualifying, even with the Honda engine. I think it's time to consider them as a legitimate threat. I don't think necessarily you're going to see that from uh, Santino Ferrucci, the rookie, or potentially James Davison, who has been touted as having the third seat for Coyne at this point. And then your front row, Scott Dixon at three. I think of the Honda camp, he is the one that has the most potential. And remember, don't forget two years ago, he ran a 232.5 here, so he certainly has the pace. Uh, him and uh, Chris Matthews, uh, his uh, – or, yeah, Chris Simmons is uh, his main tech guy. They always seem to go with the extra mile as far as aggression on setup, so it'll be interesting to see how they go. And then I have a Petsky 1-2, Pagano at two. Just missed on the pole last year, and I say right now, based on the aggression factor at qualified, I think Will Power's the guy to beat, and I have him right now. Three months out, he is the projected pole sitter for the 130 Indy 500. All right, there you have it, folks. The official 2019 Gridatology of Matthew Embry. Uh, you can consider that the Farmer's Alamac of, uh, <laughs> of IndyCar racing. Always enjoy reading it, and I know – that you make adjustments throughout, certainly always good to, to watch and to, to listen uh, to you all on that. So let's talk a little bit about some more IndyCar news, then we'll get into some college hoopage, why we still got here. Uh, but Dreyer and Reinhold uh, confirms that they will have uh, Sage Karam as their driver in the Indianapolis 500. Sage Karam is is confirmed, and I bet they will also confirm J.R. Hildebrand uh, as we draw closer to the month. He still has the sponsorship, or we expect he has the sponsorship with Salesforce. Guessing to see which number, though, J.R. Hildebrand will pick, because uh, his 66 last year has been taken by Fernando Alonso and McLaren. But uh, I think if you talk about Sage Karam, what do we keep saying about Sage Karam every year, uh, Tom? Rex. He just he can't stay off Indy that wall, can he? <laughs> he has wrecked out the Indy 500 four years in a row. So he will be a contender, I think, at some point. The question is, can he make it all the way to the finish? And I, I love Sage Karam. He's a great driver, but he just can't get to the finish in these races. And if he wants to be a full-time runner or running more races on the IndyCar schedule, he's got to be able to show that he can get the car to the finish. And so far... He hasn't been able to do it, and I'm sure me and uh, Tyson Lodzleiger, when we get to the field of 33, show are going to be questioning that uh, to the full again with Sage Karam. Well, absolutely, and I'm look, looking forward to that show. Let's talk about talk about a, a, another driver that just a good driver. I mean, has has earned his stripes, if you will, but just just can't get over that hump, and that's uh, uh, Carson Daly with uh, 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 with the. Uh, Con- I said Carson. I meant Con- Connor Daly. Uh, thank you there, Matthew. Thank you for billing me out there. But he's over at Andretti, and certainly we, we know that some things beyond his control, and uh, we could get into that at another time, but his father filed a, a lawsuit regarding all that. But 
anyway, he got caught up in a mix. But that, that's even that. Even if that had never happened, I think Connor Daly just has not been able to get over that hump. I'm hoping Andretti will will give him that op- that will happen for him at the Indianapolis 500. As we know, uh, he'll be running the Air Force car at the Indianapolis 500 this year for Andretti. So big move for Andretti, big move for Air Force. I'm glad that they 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 stuck behind Connor, but. Connor just cannot get over that hump at the Indianapolis 500. And until he can do that, I don't know that we can look at him as a full-time IndyCar driver again. Well, the thing is, he's a good road course racer. That's the thing I think that he is. I don't know if he's necessarily a good oval track racer, but we know based on his previous results that he can drive around a road course as good as anybody. The one thing that will help him, though, is keep in mind, Stephen Wilson almost won this race. If he had two more laps of fuel, he would have won last year's Indy 500. Uh, so I think you will see Connor Daly have no problems getting in the top 30. What that leads to on race day, I don't know. But if he can keep his head on straight, because just like Sage Karam, he has had problems finishing this race. But if he can keep his nose clean for 200 laps, uh, I think he is capable of getting a good result with that injury equipment. Let's talk a little bit about some of the drivers, and then we'll get into some college hoopage. Scott Dixon, obviously a a fan favorite uh, in the IndyCar Series, the NTT IndyCar Series. Uh, Fan favorite. What is in store in 2019 for the man from New Zealand, Mr. Scott Dixon? Right now, I think he is one of the title contenders. Uh, Unless something happens where he gets injured or something happens down the road, I just think that Ganassi is, with their history and the history of Scott Dixon, uh, he's won five championships, and I would not be surprised uh, if he lifts the Astro Cup again and wins title number six uh, before this year is out. Uh, He is just the ultimate uh, top-to-bottom driver. Uh, Unlike Will Power, who's a little bit shady on the oval tracks, Scott Dixon is equally competitive on ovals as he is on the road courses, and right now, uh, that's what you got to be. You have to be versatile to be a successful open-wheel driver, even though, yes, there is a bias toward the road and street circuits right now based on the number on the schedule with 12 as opposed to just five ovals. But the fact of the matter is uh, Scott Dixon a little bit more competitive on both halves of the coin as opposed to, say, a Will Power or Simon Pagano, et cetera, and that's why he's always near the top of the standings every year. And I expect to be right there, and uh, I would be very surprised if he is not the champion at the end of 2019. So we, we look for Canassi to have a championship. Obviously, one of the other teams that might want to have something to say about that is a team that we talk about quite frequently, as they have uh, the, some of the most wins, some of the most cars in their stable, some of the most talented drivers. Let's talk about the the, the team that we all know is Team Penske. Should be right up there with any of their three, and any of their three could win it. I mean, Joseph Newgarden, a former champion, Will Power, a former champion, Simon Pazino's just missed out on the championship a couple times. Equally effective, I think uh, Joseph Newgarden maybe needs to be a little more consistent as opposed to his two teammates, and Will Power just needs to avoid the bad luck. I think that's been the one thing that's hurt him. Uh, I mean, he's had great second-half runs, but what has he gotten off to? He's gotten off to slow starts some of these last few seasons. That's really hurt him in terms of winning a championship. If he can have a good, solid run right out of the box at St. Pete, he doesn't necessarily have to win the race, but if he has a solid run out of the box, uh, he should be a contender uh, to possibly win a second title uh, for the Manfred to win Australia. And 
of course, as we say, defending Indy 500 champion. Talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. We're getting ready to roll out the NTT IndyCar series uh, this year, beginning it's uh, just a little, real less than seven days, if you want to count qualifying time. But uh, as, as we start the race in St. Petersburg, the season in St. Petersburg uh, next weekend uh, on the streets of St. Petersburg. You know, last year was a gut uh, punch in the gut at the Indianapolis 500 for James Hinchcliffe great guy couldn't have happened to a nicer guy and certainly was very humble in it all they could have took a lot of different ways on that they could have still put uh james hinchcliffe in the indianapolis 500 uh but he kind of said like you know hey i didn't earn it and i don't want to be in the race and and that was really humbling for him i think but uh, uh sam schmidt uh peterson racing uh just that was just a a a crush for them james hinchcliffe uh, Schmidt-Peterson Racing 2019, 2018's over with. It's a new year. How, how do they go about getting ready to make sure that this doesn't happen again in 2019? Well, I don't know if they've got some solid stars last year with Robert Wickens, but uh, I'd be curious to see what Marcus Erickson provides to the team. Uh, obviously, Aero Electronics has made a bigger commitment. They're now a part owner in the team. In fact, I've called the team Team Aero. Uh, at times now, uh, just to make things easier to court that. Uh, but uh, I think that's part of the reason why in Gritology I didn't have them in my near my top 12. Uh, they have the Honda engine. Uh, this is And it's hard to believe this is a team that just a couple of years ago, James Hensquith won the pole for the Indy 500, and he's plummeted now to mid the back of the pack. But, again, if you make a gamble – uh, they rolled the dice uh, with Lena Gade. Lena Gade decided she didn't want to be with Arrow. She immediately left the team that left them in a you know precarious position for Indy, and that's what happens. And keep in mind, not only do you have James Hinchcliffe there, but you have Marcus Erickson, you have the technical alliance with Meyer Shank, with Jack Harvey, and then you're probably going to have a third car, which looks like it's probably going to be uh, the Eric Bachelard support entry for uh, Oriel Servia. So, you know, you talk about teams being spread too thin. That's why we question about uh, Team Arrow. We think we question the same thing about Rahal Letterman with their three cars they got to run. Uh, that's maybe why Graham Rahal has struggled to qualify at Indy the last couple of years, and that may also be a bad omen for their Indy only guy, Jordan King. But, uh, yeah, ultimately, you have to be able to, when the month of May gets going, you got to be able to adapt and you got to be able to get up to speed right away, as we've seen. Uh, teams have been able to do that without problems, but there's been other teams that have had problems. I mean, remember a couple of years ago, we were talking 2011, Andretti Autosport failed to get two of their cars in that year either as well. So it can happen to anybody, and you just have to keep your game up. And now with an entry that could be as many as 38 cars, Tom, uh, there's no excuse. You have to be quick out of the box, or else if you fall behind, I mean, you could just be off by just a little bit, and you could suddenly be in a bad position. And, again, what if it rains or we have rain delays on pole day like we had last year where you only get one chance to get the job done? You have to be able to get the job done in that one attempt, and James Hinchcliffe couldn't do it, and that's why he failed to qualify. So it could happen to anybody, but, again, it's just uh, you have to be able to, when the time comes, get the job done. And uh, I think I would not be surprised if another big name or big names with an S – uh, are on the outside looking in after we get done with Buff Day uh, in the month of May. 
Fernando Alonso, he's back. Uh, I mean, what else does he have to prove in the racing world except for getting a win at the Indianapolis 500? And I don't know, maybe we look for him here in the in the future to be a full-time driver for IndyCar. But Fernando Alonso is back in Indianapolis this year, maybe not making as big as a news as he did the last time. But uh, we saw that he could get out there and run with the best of them in IndyCar. Fernando Alonso, what say you? Qualify solidly. Uh, I don't think he'll be a top nine qualifier just because I think the player tried to do it on the road uh, with the Chevrolet Edge because of their, you know, anger with Honda, with how things went badly at Formula One. Uh, they're gonna, it's going to be a tough uh, challenge for them, but I think just because Fernando Alonso is so versatile, I just don't see where they're going to have qual- trouble qualifying. And if they do challenge for a top nine spot, I would not be surprised. It's going to be a tougher sell than what he was with Andretti Autosport. But uh, if they would get to the top nine to be a contender for the poll, I would not be surprised. Well, let's talk a little bit about Andretti. Marco Andretti uh, dipping his toe in ownership. We talked a little bit about this last week, uh, dipping his toe in ownership. But also, Marco Andretti is a is, uh, is an Andretti, and he still has not uh, fared well at the Indianapolis 500. Marco Andretti, 2019, what say you? I think the limiting the distractions, I don't think, I think is what you need to do. Making him a part owner of his own entry, I think that's just extra distraction as far as the business side of how he's got to take care of now. But I think the key for him is to focus on driving. Keep in mind, he's still – with a career that dates now for 13 years, he still has only won three races. Uh, that's far less than what was expected of him when he made his debut in 2006. Uh, he has not made serious challenges for the championship like we thought he would over his career. Uh, I think limiting the distractions would help, but uh, making him a part owner for his entry, where now he's got to take on some of the burden of that. Uh, I don't know if necessarily that's what you're trying to get him closer to the front of the field. Sebastian Bourdais, we saw him have an incredible comeback here last year. As we remember the year before, uh, we were out there at Indianapolis uh, when he hit the wall and had a tremendous wreck. And, and obviously, not not as bad. Obviously, Wickens didn't happen at at Indianapolis, but not as big of a recovery time that Wickens had. But certainly put him out of the car for the rest of the year there uh, in 2017, 2018. Sebastian Bourdais had a huge comeback uh, year uh, for Delcoin Racing. What are we looking for from Sebastian Bourdais? Certainly capable of winning the St. Pete opener. He's won it on two occasions. Uh, obviously, like I said, uh, he is now a legit contender for the handicap for the pole at Indy. Uh, had a good run uh, prior to the accident. Uh, he had a 2017. He was the fastest car there. He was the fastest Honda last year. If Honda's made some inroads, uh, him taking the pole uh, for the month of May at the Indy 500, I would not be surprised at a bit. Now, granted, I don't think his teammates are going to be as strong as they have been the last couple of years with Ed Jones is there, et cetera. I don't think Santino Ferrucci is going to be, you know, up front along with Ford Ed. I don't think you could say that about James Davison either, who is the projected driver to be in that third point car. But uh, I think Ford A is going to be a factor. It uh, looks like the commitment's there with Bastard Sullivan. Uh, I think this is, uh, as far as the handicap, I think you have a serious challenge now from uh, Dale Coyd in terms of 
where they will line up on the grid against uh, the other Honda teams from Ganassi and from Andretti. One more driver I want to get an update on. Obviously, uh, not full-time with IndyCar, uh, but still driving a race car. He will be at the Indianapolis 500. Fan favorite, Elio Castaneves. Uh, what are your thoughts? I think uh, he will be a contender to win at Indy, his fourth Indy 500. I just don't know if it's going to cover or not. He's down into his 40s now. I think he is competitive for Indy, but, uh, you know, being able to get there and do that and two different things, and right now his focus is on sports cars, especially uh, coming up in the next few weeks with Sebring coming up. I think uh, the Acura Team Petsky is going to be a serious contender for victory at Sebring. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he fares, but uh, I think uh, Indy Car Grand Prix, the Indy 500, I think he'll have decent results, but will he win? Uh, hard to say at this point, but I would have to say on the side of no at this point, I think there are better contenders in the Petsky camp right now as opposed to Cassidy Everson. Obviously, the name Will Power being the defending Indy 500 champion uh, comes to mind first uh, before Elliot at this point. One more uh, story on IndyCar, and then we'll uh, move on into some college hoopage. David Hamilton Jr. gets arrested uh, in Florida on two counts of felony, uh, alluring his ex-girlfriend to a hotel, uh, holding her at knife point. She was able to get loose. He was able to – he got away. They, they caught up with him. Wow, crazy story with Davey Hamilton Jr. Um, what have we heard from him about that story? What has his dad said? Obviously, his, his IndyCar his, – his racing career is over. Uh, but this is just a sad story, but – it, it, it did make the major headlines this week, so we wanted to make sure we talked about that. Davey Hamilton, what are your thoughts? Junior, that is. Davey Hamilton, Junior, that is. Well, it's a black guy right now. I think IndyCar would be better off distancing themselves uh, for this as much as possible. The last thing they need is any bad vibes to uh, hurt the progress they've had. And as much as Davey Hamilton Sr. has been a fan, as a supporter, and being on the IndyCar Radio Network, I think it's time to uh, – move on beyond the Hamiltons at this point and focus in on what the positives of the sport are right now, because uh, the, if this hangs around, it's just going to be more of a negative and more of a negative, kind of like what's going on with the NFL, with the Bob Kraft uh, scandal right now. So uh, I think IndyCar just needs to distance himself and move along. What happens to Davey Hamilton Jr. will happen as far as in the court system, but I think IndyCar needs to stay as far away from this as they can and uh, focus in on the positives of the sport and not an incident like this. I absolutely, totally agree. Well, let's move on into some college hoopage. Uh, we're getting ready for March. Well, wait a minute. It is March. So we're just a few weeks away from March Madness. Let's start off here in our hometown area. Obviously, Purdue. Who would have ever thought with, with this scenario would happen, that Purdue fans would actually be rooting for IU uh, tomorrow? Uh, but sir, Purdue, the – the, the big championship in their claws, in their sights, in their, in their scope. And, man, you talk about where they're at and where they've come from. IU, well, they're going to get to the NIT. Uh, to second best, right? No, mediocre, right? No, but uh, at least uh, Ro- uh, Romeo made that last-minute shot against Wisconsin. But let's talk a little bit about the Big Ten. Going into March, looking like Purdue uh, could very well seal – the Big Ten Championship. 
they may be a challenger in that, but I don't know if they're going to be a Big Ten tournament champion or a team that could make a run even in the NCAA tournament, even though the committee seems to have them, you know, in the top uh, 16 seeds right now. I just don't know uh, if this is a team beyond Carson Edwards that could be competitive when we get to the NCAA tournament play. Uh, there's a reason why this school has not made it to the Final Four since 1980. It's just they just do not have the pieces together when you get to those key rounds to be able to get all the way there. And I think uh, as far as you talk about teams being vulnerable to an upset in the first or second rounds, I think Purdue's name is high on that list because beyond Carson Edwards, uh, there's a lot of question marks as to how competitive the rest of this team's going to be because you have a high cold player to Ryan Clyde, for instance, uh, the same goes with Grady Eifert, and then Matt Harms. Even though, yeah, he's a dominant player at seven foot three, really use that to full effect where he could be completely competitive with that size advantage. Uh, I still haven't necessarily seen that yet, and uh, until I do, uh, I'm still skeptical on just what Purdue could do uh, when we get to the NCAA tournament. You know, I misspoke. Uh, let me correct myself. I said IU plays tomorrow. They do play today against Michigan State. So uh, that's that's my fault. But uh, IU, Michigan State today at noon, what are your thoughts? In fact, uh, WSBT will carry that game to Wesley Web feed. That pregame will start at 11.45. Uh, that will be on the main feed only. We cannot uh, stream that game. If you're looking for the stream, it will be available at westwoodsports.com. Uh, they get the stream through them. But uh, I think Michigan State, uh, remember, they, they lost to Indiana uh, the one time around early already this year at the Breslin Center. So uh, this is by no means a gimme game. And uh, I think if Michigan State wants to get themselves back into a position where they are contenders, this is a game they have to win today and find a way to uh, turn the tide at uh, Bloomington. We're talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, and he uh, helps us out with some college hoopage as well, WSVT up in the south. Uh, ben, certainly give them a listen. You can catch them on the stream as well. Uh, not this game, but you can certainly uh, catch them throughout the week, and occasionally I'll uh, I'll uh, do a stream surf and, and, and land on WSVT for a little bit. Great radio station. Uh, thank you, Matthew, for joining us. North Carolina State of Florida State today. What say you, sir? The Seminoles? against uh, North Carolina State. Uh, you take a look at that one. That's a game I think NC State's got to have. They're right on the cut line to making the tournament. Florida State, uh, solid game against Notre Dame, but I think they showed uh, a little bit of vulnerability in that game as well. So I don't know if this is necessarily a team that uh, is a top 25 worthy or worthy of a big ready NCAA tournament. Uh, have to carry their uh, load here and get the victory at least tonight, I would say, against uh, or this afternoon against the NC State team. And you talk about who needs this game more. NC State certainly needs to win. Uh, you look at the ACC, uh, Syracuse has got to beat Wake Forest today, I'd say, to keep themselves in the position to make the tournament. And then uh, you have uh, Clemson also with a big game today that they also, I think, have to win. And uh, you look at the Big Ten, uh, that Purdue game where they host Ohio State, that is, I think, a must-win game for Ohio State if they want to be uh, making it into the big dance themselves as well. So uh, the Jayhawks make a, a trip down to Oklahoma. Oklahoma Sooners host the, the Jayhawks, number 15. We, we uh, talked Oklahoma about this State last week. Game. They, they, they are they at say, Oklahoma what? State, not Oklahoma. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. My fault. Go right ahead. Uh, still, okay, they're, they're Oklahoma State. They're in Cowboy land, not Sooner land. Go ahead, buddy. 
I'd say right now to stay legitimate, Kansas State's got to win this game. This is not a good Oklahoma State team, uh, a team that's in transition. They're only 10-18 this year. Hard to believe how bad the Cowboys have been. But I'd say uh, Kansas' uh, position as a dominant team in the Big 12 uh, certainly is questionable uh, with the other contenders there, like Texas Tech, who sadly beat them last weekend. Uh, this is a game I think Kansas uh, needs to win and needs to win handily in order to solidify themselves as a legitimate threat in the Big 12 tournament uh, coming up next week. Uh, big SEC matchup, LSU Tigers, number 13 LSU Tigers against Bama. Uh, when we talk about Bama basketball, it's a lot different than talking about Bama football. Uh, Bama's not even rated, but what are your thoughts? Uh, Alabama roll tide against the LSU Tigers, big SEC matchup. I think the Tigers can 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 win this game on the road. If the SEC wants to have eight teams in the tournament, Alabama has got to win this ball game. Uh, they do not have really any quality wins on their schedule besides the win against Kentucky. Uh, they would lose this game. They would go down to seventeen and twelve. But the strength of schedule, I don't think, will help them any to uh, get over the hump here. Even though I saw that ESPN.com thing where Bubba Watt says that even a sub-500 record, you're going to see a bunch of power conference teams with sub-500 conference records getting into the tournament. I don't think you want to bank on that necessarily. And uh, if you have any chances to get wins in that quad one and that new NET uh, rating system, which the NCAA committee says they are using to put teams as far as at large is, Alabama really is limited on quad one wins. They could really use one here, and what better way to do that than to beat LSU uh, this afternoon? But, uh, yeah, you talk about teams that badly need wins. The Crimson Tide are one team that badly needs wins right now if they want to make the tournament. One of the great things about March, and here we'll be seeing it come together here in about a week and a half to two weeks, uh, and that's the March Madness, the brackets. And we talk about the gridatology, there's also the bracketology. And one of the things that people never uh, seem to get right, we'd be very rich if we could get it right, and that is understanding the Cinderella game and who's going to be the Cinderella, who's going to be the Loyola of Chicago this year. Thoughts on that? Let's talk a little bit about possible Cinderella teams that maybe people want to keep their keep their eyes on as they get ready for their brackets coming up here in a couple of weeks. Well, the key thing I think right now is what's going to happen with these mid majors that are getting so much attention. Say the Gonzagas, the Buffaloes, uh, Nevada, St. Mary's, Belmont, Wofford. Do they keep, get the automatic bid in their conference tournaments, or do they fall in those conference tournaments and then have to be on an at-large? Because, remember, if they get an at-large, that steals a bit away from a power conference team, or it keeps another potential mid-major out. So the question is, right now, we get to the conference tournaments, and some of these you know, top mid-majors fall in the conference tournaments and don't get that automatic bid. Do they get in, or do they get admitted? Uh, from the NCAA tournament. I think you could say that Belmont and the Ohio Valley Conference is on a slippery slope. Uh, Furman, certainly. Lipscomb's on a slippery slope right now. Uh, I think teams like, for instance, Nevada, Gonzaga, Buffalo have nothing to worry about. If they fall in the conference tournament, they should get in. But a team like St. Mary's, uh, they have a chance to beat Gonzaga tonight. Uh, If they don't get the job against the Zags tonight, they may very well have to win the conference tournament to get in the field. And I think that same thing possibly holds true for another West, Con- West Coast Conference team in San Francisco. 
that's trying to get in. Uh, if they don't get that automatic bid, do they still get in? I think that's the big question right now because we have seen, for instance, with the RPI, Tom, in doubt, uh, the at-large is normally one of these power conference teams as opposed to the mid-majors, and that's one thing that's been a big gripe for these mid-majors that they don't get the respect when it comes down to these last few spots to get in. You'll be very curious to see if they get the benefit of the doubt this time, if they don't get the job done in the conference tournament. I think that's the big story if you're one of the bracketologists are into that kind of craze right now is do these mid-majors hold serve when we get into the conference tournament starting next weekend? Well, we're just right around the corner. March 17th is Selection Sunday. Uh, the first four play March 19th through the 20th. Uh, the, the first second rounds are the 21st through the 24th, and then you have the Sweet 16, uh, the 28th through the 29th, and the Elite 8, the 30th through the 31st, the Final Four, April 6th, and the Championship, April 8th. We don't know the seedings yet. We don't know what's going to happen on Selection Sunday. But if you were there to do the Bird Box Challenge for March Madness, who gets in the Final Four and who gets to the Championship? Well, let me bring up the Nardi's thing. We'll go by what he's got here, for instance. Uh, hang on here. But I think Duke is a lock. Uh, as much as people don't like Duke, I just I think they are just too strong with or without Zion Williamson. They will be a part of the Final Four. I, I just don't think that collapse is going to happen. Uh, Gonzaga, I think, unless uh, you got a Michigan out there or Kansas that could challenge them because uh, they're all in the West according to what Lunardi currently has for March 1st. Uh, Kentucky is legit. I think what we've seen from Kentucky, they will be a very tough out in the tournament. And then uh, the question in my mind is, can Virginia learn from uh, their collapse uh, a year ago when they lost to a 16 seed in UMBC? Uh, granted, UMBC will not be there this time around, but uh, you've got other potential landmines out there. If you go by what Lunardi has, like they'd have to play a team like Tennessee potentially in the Elite Eight. Uh, a Purdue, a Buffalo, Nevada, Maryland, all teams that if Virginia stubs their toe like they did last year, they could certainly be knocked out of the tournament uh, before you know it. So uh, I'd say right now, if you talk about uh, the top teams out there that have the safest situation, I'd say Gonzaga's looking good, Duke and Kentucky. But again, if Virginia gets that one seed, uh, I have very uh, doubts as to whether or not they can get all the way to uh, Minneapolis. Talking with Matthew Embry's dad joined us, uh, our official IndyCar contributor, and they also talked to some college hoopage. I know you wrote a blog or two about Bob Kraft. Uh, certainly, we saw this year, this week, uh, where he said that he was going to, that well, he did plead not guilty, which is going to set it up for trial. Uh, maybe that was a good move. Maybe it was not a good move. I've been following this story pretty thoroughly, and uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I've been listening to a lot of the the. Legal advice. As we know now and what the authorities are saying in Florida, that Bob Kraft knew nothing about the human trafficking aspect of this. So that said, we can assume that, that he did not, unless that's proven differently. He's not been charged in any human trafficking event. He was charged with solicitation of prostitution. Not the end of the world, especially in the, in the world of 2019 when people smoke weed and it's legal and all that other stuff. So we can make a, an argument as, okay, it's okay for a 79-year-old uh, billionaire who wants to be out of the limelight to go down there and get a happy ending. 
That said, there's a lot of things that are said that he could possibly beat this rap, and it's only a misdemeanor. He's not going to get any time in jail. A fine's not going to do anything to him. The NFL, if he gets convicted, is going to have to suspend him for four or five games, and, and then they'll go about their day. The, his son pretty much handles the day-to-day operations of the team anyway. They're not going to force him to sell the team. There's no way they're going to do that. Uh, so here's here's what, where he could beat this rap. Uh, what we are learning is that the uh, Florida authorities and federal authorities faked a bomb threat, evacuated the entire strip mall uh, as they supposedly, air quotes, cleared uh, for the bomb threat. They were installing secret cameras uh, into the massage parlor to, again, investigate this human trafficking event, which, again, let's let's separate what the investigation was about. So that said, the cameras were placed illegally inside the uh, the massage parlor. Uh, Second of all, how they found out about Bob Kraft was they ran a sting operation. Anybody coming out of that business, they would just pull him over for any old reason. And so when they pulled his driver over, they asked for Bob Kraft's ID. Bob Kraft was very uh, uh, willing to to help in the matter and gave his ID. And they just said, you know, uh, look like you, you made a wrong turn coming out of there, you know, drive safe. They didn't get, issue any citations. The whole point of the, of the pullover was to get identifications of people who were inside the massage uh, parlor. So there's a lot of entrapment issues here. It's only a misdemeanor, but let's not make a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, that's where I stand at with it right now. I'm not supporting prostitution, but at the end of the day, uh, I don't think he's anywhere near to the level of the Clippers in the NBA. Go ahead, Matt. Thing is, though, remember, uh, are you familiar with uh, a couple of decades ago the incident involving John DeLorean with uh, marijuana and all that stuff? Yes. This but that was also back when marijuana was wasn't legal. Even if he, yeah, he, he was found not guilty, but even after that, he said, would you buy a used car for me? He literally fell off the face of the earth in terms of the automotive industry. Yeah. Regardless right. of whether Bob Kraft is clear to this or not, he is going to still be viewed as a pervert and as a black guy for the sport, whether or not he's found guilty or not guilty, whether fair or unfair. Mm-hmm. That's the danger you get in getting involved in this kind of stuff. I mean, Tom Brady's the same way with the flake game and all the stuff he's been involved in. I mean, right. it's going to stain him for the rest of his life. Now, whether or not that's deserved or undeserved, again, that's not my opinion, and that's not the opinion of our show and the purpose of our show. But it's going to be just like what would happen with DeLorean. He is not going to be a big blue name, and he's not going to be taken seriously anymore because of this one incident. You're right. Well, Matthew Embry, I wish we could we could talk about this, and maybe we will talk about this more as the story develops. And, and certainly, uh, the NFL Combine is here in Indianapolis, and we're going to be talking with Ed Kratz uh, about that. And we'll also talk a little bit more detail at the end of the show uh, for uh, about Bob Kraft. But I just kind of wanted to bring everybody up to speed on that. Where can people find your work, and your masterpieces, your gridatology for IndyCar, uh, and any other thing that you would like for people to read about you, sir? Again, Twitter, M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y, and a lot of stuff going on WSBT. As I mentioned, if you're in the South Bend, Mishawaka area and can get our feed, we have Westwood One coverage of Michigan State, Indiana. The pregame starts 1145. In fact, I'll be getting cleaned up and head over so I can run that broadcast. So if you hear that broadcast running, I'm going to be the one running it. 
And don't forget Hoosier Hysteria tonight, 720, Penn against Adams. You got two stars in Penn and thousand point scores, Drew Lutz and Noah Applegate. If you can get down to Penn Palace tonight or listen to our feed, uh, it's worth it. Uh, it's going to be a heck of a matchup against the Adams Eagles. Absolutely. We'll send it in the, in the balance green room with Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. We're getting to some NASCAR talk. Uh, Matt, you have yourself a, a good race weekend, and we'll uh, talk again next week as we get ready for the streets of St. Petersburg. We are about to go racing, folks, and we'll talk to you next week. All righty. Matt, Matthew Embry of WSPT, our official IndyCar contributor. Uh, we're standing by as uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. We're going to the, – the cars roll in – cars and trucks, that is, roll in uh, to the Vegas. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous pork chop down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. 
Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, WSBT up in South Bend, uh, talking with us a little bit about his gridatology. Uh, and as we get ready to start the 2019 NTT IndyCar Series, that is a roll off the tongue. Joining us now is uh, Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official uh, NASCAR contributor, uh, Boys were out in Hotlanta last week. I know you were down there, too. And they roll into Vegas this week. We'll get into all of that in just a moment. But, hey, how weird does it sound to say the NTT IndyCar Series? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think over the years, uh, we it's kind of like, uh, you know, you go through 30-some years of Winston being in the sport, and the next thing you know, uh-huh. you're calling this thing the Nextel Series. So, you know, for the for, for IndyCar, I think it's a little bit of the same thing where you get used to a name over a couple, three, five years or so, and the next thing you know, you gotta you gotta worry about you gotta worry about uh, uh, remembering what, what the what the what it is called today. And you know, I I struggle today with the with the with NASCAR Gallander Outdoor Truck Series where it's been the Canada World Truck Series. It's yeah. going to last almost 10 years. Well, it's uh, you, you like to think racing is like socialism. It's all good till you run out of somebody else's money, right? <laughs> and then they got to they got to switch things up a little bit. So anyway, that's fine. So we'll we'll get we'll we'll get used to it. Uh, and obviously they they kick off in the streets of St. Petersburg. But uh, NASCAR underway. They're they're fully underway and fully engaged. We've got Daytona behind us. We got Atlanta behind us. Uh, they're going into Vegas this week. Uh, well, we had the truck race last night. We'll talk about that here. Here in just a minute. I know you were down there in Atlanta last week. Great race. I know there were some weather elements, but hey, on Sunday the the race. I won't say the race that really matters, but the the the, the big boy race, if you will, the Monster Energy Series, uh, went off without a hitch, and really for the most part, uh, it, it was. It, really caution free you had the the issue in in pit pit row there uh where uh, apparently he was doing the the bird box challenge there by looking down at his tack meter and totally uh missed that, that but walk us through give us a recap if you will of Atlanta and last weekend from from the trucks to the Xfinity uh to the Monster Energy Series and then we'll talk about the truck race and we'll talk about uh the race today and tomorrow yeah, I have to. <clears throat> excuse me, you're gonna have to bear with me. Um, you're gonna uh, NASCAR. I have to give them props. They did everything on Saturday to keep those races a- a running. We had multiple red flags, um, and and at the end of the day, uh, the doubleheader was able to finish without a problem. Well, I mean, there were problems, but. Uh, you know, there was no problems in, in, in the fact that they had to call the races early. Uh, uh, there was heavy fog and mist in the air, um, and NASCAR stayed ahead of this thing all day long. So I have to give them props for all the stuff that they did to keep those races uh, uh, going and, and see them to their conclusion. Um, 
Sunday, uh, we had just beautiful weather out there, and I think I saw more people in the stands than I had seen in Atlanta in the last couple, three, four years since they they moved uh, back to this date in February. So, um, Brett Kozlowski, I, th- I think he's probably the winner of the day, and not only in the fact that he won the race, but that guy on on Saturday was unable to get in the race car. He was unable to practice. And he raced all day long. And, you know, to be honest with you, we never really considered him as a contending factor until at the end there, um, he kind of he just worked his way to the top quietly all day long. And, you know, we knew he was under the weather. And, and he was able to prevail as the winner. Now, <clears throat> in all of this, Norton Drex Jr. feels a little slighted in the fact that Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who was a, a lap or so down, uh, wouldn't get out of his way and race him a little bit too hard. And he feels that if Ricky Stenhouse hadn't have uh, raced him as he did in the closing laps, he feels like he could have beat, he beat Brad Keselowski. Um and, you know, <clears throat> there's been a lot of conversation about that all week long. I kind of have the feeling where I said on Tuesday um, with with Tim on the pit stop that, um, you know, there's 39 other race car drivers out there. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you take issue because one race car driver that's racing his race might have raced you a little bit harder than what you think, then <clears throat> nobody is stopping any of these 40 race car drivers from going and buying their own racetrack and running a race all by themselves. But at the yeah. end of the day, how many people are going to show up and watch that show? So every right. driver has their own sponsors. They have their teams. They have everybody to answer to. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and 39 other race cars out there, they're all doing what they're supposed to do, and they're battling for position, and they're doing what they have to do. So, you know, Martin Drescan Jr. can be angry after the fact, but I think at the big picture of this, uh, you know, how many times in the past has Martin Truex Jr. done the same thing? I think he has to think back to that. He has to think back to the all the race car drivers out there racing their own race. Well, let's move on into Vegas, uh, and I uh, appreciate you coming on with us. I know you're you're feeling a little bit underneath the weather, uh, so we'll try to go easy on you. But, man, is there any stopping this Kyle Busch in the Truck Series? He wins his hometown and his home track there, the Truck Series. He's, uh, as we know from last week, he's the winningest uh, Truck Series driver of all time. Kyle Busch takes hometown truck win in Vegas. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Unless NASCAR bans him from racing in the in the lower series, <laughs> the Xfinity and trucks, I don't think there's really much of stopping Kyle Busch and him just continuing to tack on uh, uh, his win in this win call for him. Uh, I tell you what, he, he again, just like he did in Atlanta the week prior in the truck series, he put on a show. I mean, he shows why he's the best at what he does. And no matter where he rolls off at or no matter where he comes out at in a pit sequence, he just shows that he's the best at what he does. And I know a lot of people probably um, don't like him because he wins too much. 
Um, but I think people have to look back at Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Richard Petty and some of the other race car drivers that have done the exact same thing where they were winning every other race, every three races, every four or five races, whatever the case was. And I think, it, you know, for all the people that say that they don't like Kyle Busch winning as often as he does, well, sometimes I think they forget that Richard Petty and, and Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Kelly Arborough and, you know, many, many others did the exact same thing. So um, he's the best at what he does, and like I said, if um, if NASCAR doesn't if NASCAR doesn't uh, ban you know drivers from competing in the lower series, he's just going to continue to tack these wins up. What we learned from the package, if you will, that was what we really saw that come together last week in Atlanta. I think what we saw was we saw a lot of grouping together of cars maybe more competitive racing, but did we learn anything from the new package, uh, the new rule that really kind of uh, began to take shape on last week in Atlanta? Um, no, we didn't really learn a whole lot last week because they hadn't implemented the air ducts and the full package yet. While they were using the tapered spacers in the cars, and they reduced the horsepower from about 750 to 550 horsepower. I mean, we did see a small reduction in the speed. Um, I think we, we what we really have to wait for is we have to rate, we have to wait for this weekend and um, you know where the full package is implemented. Now, I know we've already heard a couple of drivers that are um, unhappy, and uh, you know, but again, we haven't put 40 race cars out there on on the track yet. But as far as going back to Atlanta in the package, yeah, we haven't we haven't learned enough to 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 make a conclusion one way or another. I think this weekend we'll see a lot of this, and as we move on through ISM, as we move from uh, there to um, Auto Club and then come back uh, go to Texas and some of these other places, I think we'll start get they'll start gathering the data um, necessary to to start. Um, kind of making an opinion on this, but again, um, you know, we, we're. I think Sunday you can probably start uh, start seeing some of the the changes involved. But as far as going back to Atlanta, yeah, it's hard to decipher anything from that race. Let's get into the Xfinity series. Uh, some news coming out of the Xfinity series that uh, this week. Uh, uh, Elliot Sadler uh, comes out of retirement for couple races anyway and uh, we remember talking with him out here in Indianapolis last week last week last year uh, when he was talking about his retirement and had a a good conversation with him and and certainly to to toot our own horn that teamed up with you at Speedway Digest uh, the the question proposed to him by me uh, was to talk about his retirement and why he is retiring it kind of got 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 some legs and went viral on it for a while, uh, so kind of toot our own horn about that. But Elliot Sadler uh, comes out of retirement for. <laughs> I'm sorry. Were you were you done? Because, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just I was I, just, I, I should have said what. Hey, go ahead. I should have led you a little bit better. I, I apologize. <laughs> 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 Sorry about that. The transition today for me is just—I don't know. It's been a—it's been a hell of a two days. Yesterday I was—I was way off my game. But anyways, back to your question. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, as somebody said yesterday, um, Elliot Sadler is taking the uh, 
the Mark Martin school of retirement in the fact of saying, well, I'm done, I'm not coming back, I'm retired, I'm getting out of a race car, and, and, and three, four, five months later, uh, announces you're getting back in a race car again, at least on a part-time deal. Um, now, well, I'll see it go and uh, be a full-time race car driver again. I, I don't believe so. I don't believe that he's going to he's going to go back into some, any substantial um, um, way of being on the schedule, but more than what he feels like he wants to do. Uh, I think coming back to Richmond, um, it's close to home. It's not something where he feels like he has to be on the road. He has to travel. He has to be there for three or four days. Um, you know, it's something right up the road. He can show up and go back home. Um, so I think it's interesting. I think it's good. Um, that, you know, some of these drivers that have retired, that they do come back, um, at least on a part-time basis. But more importantly, I think for Carl Grayson, who's going to field the car, this is an opportunity for them to put a veteran in their car, which they haven't had in the past. And, yes, they have uh, an alliance deal with RCR. But it gives them an opportunity to put a veteran in the car and help them – move move the needle in, in a way that they're more competitive and tell them what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong and how they can get faster, do things better. And, and that, I think, is a lot of what this is about at the same time. Not that Elliot Alley doesn't want to get back in a race car because obviously he wants to get back in a race car and he feels like he wants to do it in a competitive car. But at the same time, for calling, it, it, it's a it's a data-sharing opportunity for them uh, to put somebody that's been in the series for quite some time and really be able to harvest some of that data to can make their team better. Well, let's talk about the Boyd Gaming 400 today in Vegas Xfinity race. What say you, sir? Give us the X's and the O's and what to look for out in the desert of Las Vegas. Well, Kyle Busch is in it again today, so, you know, like I said, uh, I think it's going to be <laughs> kind of hard for somebody to compete against him no matter what series that they're in. Um, aside from that, I mean, I think it's just, you know, there's a, there's a lot of drivers that are going to be out there, and they're going to um, they're, they're, they're gonna do what they got to do to try and beat Kyle Busch. Unfortunately, I think it's what this all comes down to today. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about last week's race in the Monster Energy. Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick, a lot of good racing. Uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit about Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson extends the hour to Hendrick Motorsports. What are your thoughts? <clears throat> well, sorry. Um, no, you're fine. Go right ahead. I mean, I kind of I missed some of what was going on. I mean, I know that he was on uh, NBC talking about some uh, about uh, Chase Elliott, um, and then he backtracked off of some of this a little bit. But he, I think, honestly, this is a heat of the moment thing. I think we need rivalries within um, um, this sport. I think we need people like that. I mean, Carl Larson hasn't really been known as somebody that's you know, caused any controversies, to be honest with you. But I think that if we can get some of these rivalries within the sport, I think it's good for the sport. 
Um, and, and, you know, pits team against team, driver against driver. Um, and, you know, again, a lot of these things are just said in the heat of the moment. You don't really think about it. You're asked a question. You say something, then you think about what you really want to say later on. I think that's a lot of, you know, what would happen here. But, again, um, I'm in favor of robberies. Um, you know, I'm in favor of uh, uh, teams and drivers being a little bit angry at one another. I think it makes for a better race. and it makes for a better storyline. And I think that's something that the NASCAR fans – have been asking for 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 quite some time, and they've been asking for uh, um, teams and drivers to to be a bit more controversial or maybe a bit more uh, you know competitive in that regards, or you know just looking at some of the 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 drivers that you know we we talked about Jimmy Johnson being a bit too vanilla sometimes. I think driver, I mean, I think fans are just really looking for drivers that are not going to be that vanilla driver that they're going to maybe go out there and, uh, you know, uh, uh, create these or not necessarily go out there and intentionally create uh, controversies or, or, or um, you know, the, these types of situations. But I think that they're just looking for drivers that are, uh, you know, they, they they more appeal to drivers that go out there and kind of uh, do things and things like this sometimes or may create something, an on-track incident um, that people talk about for for some time. I mean, you look back at uh, the Allisons and Yarborough fighting at the Daytona 500, we still talk about that today. We still talk about Tony Stewart throwing his uh, helmet at Matt Kenseth at Bristol. We still talk about Joey Logano and Matt Kenseth at Martinsville. And I think you know that's something that resonates. Uh, look, we still also still talk about. We also still talk about Jeff Gordon and Clip here. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, see, you know, I think these are things that resonate within the fan base, and I think sometimes that when we start talking about these things, it's just putting a different light on these drivers, and sometimes, uh, you know, we make fans and enemies, um, you know, out of drivers and teams and owners and, and you know for for the most part uh, you know again this resonates it resonates with the fan base it resonates uh, across the spectrum and I think this is something that that fans have been yearning to see for quite some time and as far as this is concerned um, you know I, I think Kyle, uh, Kyle Larson said something in the heat of the moment thought about it and then went back and said you know I shouldn't necessarily said what he said but you know uh, again, I, I I don't see any big deal out of this. It's just something that happens in racing. You know, I to watch Jeff Gordon interview Clint Boyer, uh, that was kind of that was kind of funny. And when they started it off, uh, everybody's calm now, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's just part of racing. That's right. Well, I know you're underneath the weather, so we'll real quickly let's talk. A out to uh, Vegas tomorrow. Uh, Ke- uh, Kevin Harvick gets the pole. No surprise there. And it's the Bush Brothers' that's home track as well. I think that if you're playing fantasy racing like I am uh, and you are, uh, that uh, you, you want to take a look at Kevin and, and the Bush Brothers. But what are your thoughts uh, on the race tomorrow? And then we'll let you go, sir. <clears throat> well, I've um, from watching practice yesterday. It was a lot of hold hold the uh, throttle wide open. We're seeing much lower speeds than we've seen in the past. We're seeing the drag on the cars create a different um, uh, aero package around the car itself and how people are going to 
uh, um, have to not only draft, but all the, also how they're going to have to attempt to pass people. Um, I think it's kind of anybody's game. Yeah, we can look at Kevin Harvick, who won the poll and he won the race last year, and Kyle Busch is Kyle Busch and Kyle um, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, your hometown. But really, honestly, I think this is kind of like you know what what, what NASCAR is attempting to. Um, what they're attempting to I'd lost my train of thought. What NASCAR is <laughs> attempting <right>. to <laughs> what NASCAR what, what what NASCAR is attempting to accomplish here and the fact of when we go to these tracks we start talking about a certain driver that is just really good at this racetrack. But when we go to Daytona and we go to Talladega, we're just like, yeah, there's forty drivers out there. Every forty driver has an opportunity. Yeah, this driver is good at drafting. Yeah, this driver is good at pushing. Yeah, this driver is good at this or that. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's 40 drivers. And I think that's what they're looking to accomplish in the fact of, um, <clears throat> you know, we we don't know what's going to happen. All these drivers that have good, been good at these racetracks in the past are not necessarily going to be good now. And um, we may see some surprise winners, and I think that this package – and so that's what it's intending to do, and I think that's what they're trying to do. The one thing that, you know, out of yesterday in the practice and the qualifying that I'm kind of against is the fact of holding the throttle wide open all the way around these mile-and-a-half fresh tracks. I do want to see some throttle control in these cars because I think that it makes for interesting racing in the corners. Down the straightaways, we all know that everybody just, you know, piles it on and, you know, holds the thing wide open. But I think I would like to see some throttle control going into the corners um, so that it's just not mimicking a Daytona or a Talladega where you're just holding it wide open. But aside from that, I'm interested to see what happens tomorrow, and I think we could be in for a few surprises. Well, we'll see what happens, and we appreciate you joining us uh, and not taking the sick day. Uh, and taking a playbook out of uh, Brad Koloski's uh, thing and, and, and coming on and, and, and making a grand slam with us today, sir. Uh, so where can people find your work and your masterpieces? You can follow us on Twitter at Speedway Digest, SpeedwayDigest.com, and Facebook.com forward slash Speedway Digest. All right. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll talk with you next week, and, and hopefully you, you get this flu bug behind you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. All right. Steve Wilson uh, called in sick today. He was sick, so I appreciate him. Taking some time, Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, uh, our official NASCAR contributor, obviously talking about a recap of Hotlanta last week. The, the boys are down in Vegas this week. My name is Tom Mark with Sal Presidente. We'll be back. Santa Biden Bounce Green Room is our official NFL contributor. That's right. It's the Underwear Olympics right here in Indianapolis. We'll be right back. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, 
money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Can you hear me, Ed? Yeah, Tom, can Ed, you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Did you hear anything that I just said? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Uh, you're cutting in and out. All right, stand by. Here, we're having... Okay, can you, can you hear me now? I can hear you. All right, we're we're, we're you, back in. We're I can hear you. Can you hear me? 
Are we good? Yes. Yep, we're good. All right. All right. Good. Well, I got this new microphone. It's a Bluetooth, and it's, like, really cool. But I think I I, I, uh, didn't charge it long enough before I started using it today. So I think we're good. Are we good? Can you hear me? I can hear you now, yes. Uh, (laughs) We'll limp through this last half hour. Did you hear anything that I just said after the break? No, I did not. Okay, well, we'll just start all over then. Okay. Well, uh, so welcome back to The Balance. My name is Saul Marcos El Presidente. Joining us now is the grand poobah of them all, Mr. Ed Kratz, beat writer of the Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor. It is the Underwear Olympics, or the a.k.a. Uh, the NFL Combine here in Indianapolis. How are you, sir? We'll start all over. Hey, hey, I am I'm doing well. Thanks. Yeah, just sitting here, uh, wait. Got a few inches of snow on the ground here in Philadelphia, waiting for some more to come uh, tomorrow, I hear. I, uh, wow. So, that that rodent must have been wrong. Didn't they say we were we would not have six more weeks of winter? <laughs> <laughs> also, Mo, uh, Mo yeah. from the BS Sports Show joins us. He is not able to join us. He is with his son in the hospital, so our, our thoughts and prayers go to him. And they're in Ohio in the Children's Hospital there. Uh, and so uh, he... Wishes that he could join us, but he can't uh, join us as well. Before we get into the NFL talk, uh, let's talk a little bit about, well, the city of brotherly love showed some uh, Bryce Harper some love. The Bryce is right. Let the puns continue. My God, he's going to be with you guys. He's like 35 years old. I did the math. Each time he takes the plate, based on what his current average of of plate appearance is, he's going to make – $44,000. $44,000. Every time he, he goes to a game, whether or not he plays or not, he's going to make over $130,000 per game. And that's not bad for a 28-year-old kid. Uh, what are your thoughts, Bryce Harper, coming to the Phillies? Well, it's good work if you can get it. That's for sure. Um, you know, he's 26 years old. He's in the prime of his career. Oh, sorry, I said 28, not, 26. <laughs> yeah, no, 26, and it's uh, they signed a 13-year deal, so he'll be here until he's 39. So, you know, it's a good deal. It looks like it'll be a good deal, you know, maybe for the first five or six years if he stays healthy. But, you know, look at the back end of that deal. I mean, he'll be in 35, 36, 37, 38, 39. How is Bryce Harper going to be, uh, you know, when he rounds the bend and starts hitting those years? Um but right now, it's a great deal for the Phillies. You know, they needed that left-handed power bat to kind of balance out their lineup a little bit. And, um, you know, the market is what the market is, and I rarely begrudge any professional athlete getting any kind of money that he can get uh, because they make their money in a short window. And if the market can bear to pay someone like him that type of money, then so be it. Um, well, right now, I think that makes the Phillies the front runner in the NL East, and they're very good NL East. I think that puts the Phillies – uh, you know, right in uh, contention to win that division. Well, I think a lot of people thought that he would end up with uh, Manny set to the bar. He's going to make a little bit more money than Bryce Harper, but two of the biggest contracts that we've seen in any, well, probably of all time, and I, probably if we could dig deep enough, there might be somebody that had a bigger contract with that you could say bigger contract as far as recent memories go and as far as where we're at now. The biggest contract ever was between Manny and Bryce Harper. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens, and, and hopefully the luck of the beard uh, will come your way. And But you know what? You are in the National League, so I can only give you so much love. <laughs> yeah, I, so I we, think we, can only, we can only have that love for so long. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, I hear you with the Cardinals, right? 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting Harper wanted to stay in one place for so long. You know, he could have taken those short-term deals with the Dodgers uh, or the, even the San Francisco Giants. But, you know, he wanted to commit to one place and kind of uh, settle into one city, and he, he decided on Philadelphia. Now, you know, to kind of turn this thing back into the football conversation, he's already recruiting Le'Veon Bell uh, to come to Philadelphia. He sent out some tweets trying to get Bell to sign with the Eagles. I don't know what the Eagles' interest is in Bell, but – I think it should be high, uh, but Bryce Harper's trying to get Le'Veon Bell to come to Philadelphia now, so he's going to serve as a recruiter uh, for the other three professional sports here in Philadelphia, I, I imagine, over these next 13 years. Uh, you know, that's something Carson Wentz has done, trying to get players to come to Philadelphia uh, in other sports. Uh, Joel Embiid is, is starting to do that with the Sixers, so, you know, it's a pretty exciting time for Philadelphia right now to have young athletes like Wentz, who's 25, and Embiid, who's 25, and and Bryce Harper, who's 26, kind of representing the city and trying to get other players to come play here. Well, Brandon Graham uh, returns for another three years uh, there in Philly camp this week, and we also found out that Nick Foles is uh, going to be uh, set free. Go fly, young young man, and he's going to get paid very, very well. <laughs> so let's talk talk a little bit about Brandon Graham. Uh, does a three-year extension. you got to love that with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, you know, he took a little bit less. I mean, he's taken less than $14 million to stay here. He's 31 years old. He's still a highly productive player. His numbers might not always show it, but, um, you know, he always has a high motor. He always puts pressure on a quarterback. He's very good at stopping the run. You know, he's a very productive player, and he's a great locker room presence, a terrific overall person as well. Uh, I think it was a good move for the Eagles, and Brandon really wanted to be here. That's why he took less. You know, I think I – I saw the um, the franchise tag numbers came out this week, and I think for a defensive end, it was uh, almost $18 million if you were to franchise at the end. Um, and, you know, the Seattle Seahawks have Frank Clark uh, to worry about. The Kansas City Chiefs, I think, have D Ford that could be a free agent. So, you know, the market for defensive ends and pass rushers is always at a premium. And, you know, Brandon Graham took less than his market value, I think, had he been able to hit free agency on March 13th, he probably would have gotten paid a little bit more. Uh, but he wanted to stay in Philadelphia, and you know that's a credit to him, and it's a credit to the Eagles organization that you know they draft players and they want to keep them here if they prove to be uh, productive. You know, Graham was drafted in the first round in 2010, and uh, after kind of a slow start, he got injured. He looked like he was going to be a bust, but you know he's been a highly productive player these last six years or so, and uh, he, he wanted to stay here, and he was rewarded with a contract that. Uh, it isn't quite his market value, but he took it. Well, let's talk about Jolly O. St. Nick. Uh, certainly great run with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I mean, he's earned the right to go wherever he wants to go. I think you and I talked offline about Jacksonville being an ideal spot. Obviously, we don't need any help in the AFC South. I think the AFC South is going to be one of the strongest it's ever been, uh, certainly with the return of the Colts, uh, knock on wood, uh, Jacksonville. Jacksonville needs a quarterback. Just so logical. But there again, uh, you know, Nick Foles is able to sit down with his agent, and his agent has a clear commodity. And, you know, maybe it's not all about the money, but it's always about the money. And if you're Nick Foles and you could get paid, like you said earlier, by all means, take it. So evaluate all the opportunities. But right now it looks like the best slot that that is going to make the biggest move and try to really make this happen is the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, for Nick Foles. What uniform do you think that uh, Foles will be wearing next year? Yeah, everybody seems to think, you know, that it will be the Jacksonville 
uh, Jaguars with, um, you know, John Filippo, who has a history with Nick Foles. You know, he's the offensive coordinator there in Jacksonville now. So, you know, there is uh, a lot of signs that point to that being the landing spot for Foles. And, you know, I know Howie Roseman, the uh, executive vice president of football operations for the Eagles, spoke this week and seemed very magnanimous in saying this was the right thing to do to set Foles free, to let him go. But you know for sure uh, Howie Roseman was working the phone lines trying to find a trade partner um, for Nick Foles rather than let him go for really nothing. He'll get probably a compensatory pick uh, for him in 2020. But you know Roseman's not going to just let him go for nothing. He tried to make a deal. Nobody wanted to pay Foles probably $25 million because had the Eagles franchised him, the going rate for a franchise tag on a quarterback is $25 million. And, you know, who would have traded him at that number? You'd have to rip up his contract uh, and, and pay him at least that because that's what he's going to make. So uh, it, it just made sense for the Eagles to let him go. And, you know, he's certainly – this was his second stint in Philadelphia, his first time around. He, of course, had that great season, uh, 27 touchdowns, two interception season, took the Eagles to the playoffs where they lost to the Saints in the first round. So this is the end of Chapter 2. It was a Super Bowl-winning chapter. And, you know, who's to say that there won't be another chapter going forward? Foles and his family really like living in Philadelphia. They think very uh, highly of the organization. But right now, he looks like he's going to be headed to Jacksonville. Others that could be in play uh, could be, you know, maybe uh, the Washington Redskins. I tend to doubt it. I don't think Foles would want to go there. That's a bit of a dysfunctional organization, the way Daniel Snyder uh, operates things there. Maybe the New York Giants, they seemed a little tepid in their uh, belief that they're going to be bringing Eli Manning back. Uh, you know, would they release Manning? I would think they would have done that by now if they were interested in signing Foles. So really the market for Foles, where, where else can he go? There's not too many landing spots out there other than Jacksonville at this point. Maybe you could say Oakland, but, you know, I think Gruden might be willing to go another year with David Carr. Uh or um, maybe Arizona, but, you know, they drafted Josh Rosen last year, and there's talk they're meeting with Kyler Murray at the Combine, the the Oklahoma Heisman Trophy winner, um, and maybe they'll draft him. So, uh, you know, for Nick Foles, I'm not sure there are a whole lot of options out there. So right now Jacksonville makes the most sense. You know, uh, certainly the NFL Combine is going on here in Indianapolis. I was able to hang out down there on Radio Row a little bit with some of my friends this week. But before we get to that, we saw this week Jason Witten comes out of retirement. Uh, I guess he realized there really is no competition to, to Tony Romo, so he wanted to go back to the <laughs> – see what I did there? <laughs> he's like, all right, you stay in the broadcast booth. I'm going back to, to Dallas. We, we think he's going to come back for one year. But uh, a deeper thought into that is Jason Witten has always said he wants to get into coaching. He's, he's uh, very uh, – close with the with the Jones family there, uh, the uh, Cowboy ownership and leadership. Uh, one might think that this might just be a springboard for him to get into coaching, which might be a good fit for him. I mean, Jason Witt- Witten is no Peyton Manning uh, or no Tom Brady, but he's certainly uh, a, worth, worth a uniform spot, that's for sure. What are your thoughts about Jason Witten? Coming back, pulling the Brett Favre, if you will. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I uh, I think we see that his future doesn't lie in broadcasting. I mean, uh, to me, it was very hard to listen to Jason Witten in that Monday night booth. Um, so, I, you know, I think that was kind of a flop, his broadcasting career. Um, I'm not sure. I guess ESPN probably would have brought him back, but I, I'm not sure they would have. Um, so why not go back and try to play another year at 37 years old? I'm not sure what he has left, what he can bring to the Cowboys at this point. 
Um, you know, 37 playing tight end, I, I don't know. Uh, he, he certainly he can catch the ball, but can he get open? Uh, can he get any yards after the catch, or is he just going to go stop dead in his tracks wherever he catches the ball? I mean, I, I just we'll have to wait and see on what he can bring actually to the table. And maybe you're right. Maybe this is a good stepping stone for him to get into coaching, but I don't know why he would have to go back to play to get into the coaching. I mean, I would think that he could just get hired by somebody uh, who wants a, a tight ends coach. He can start there since that's a position he played and will probably be a hall of famer at that position. Um, but it, it was, it was kind of a curious move for the Cowboys. They're spending money uh, on Witten when they could spend it on Demarcus Lawrence, one of the defensive ends who, um, they need to re-sign him or, or franchise tag him, and I don't know why you'd play that game uh, when the guy has clearly earned any kind of money that he would get in the contract. So, uh, you know, I know Dallas does have some money to spend, but it's just curious that they decided to spend it on the return of a, a tight end, which, you know, he, he may not have much left. So, yeah, speaking of uh, money to spend, that's the Colts. They have money to spend. And I uh, spent some time down at the Combine yesterday uh, – fun time down there radio row with some friends of mine and i was able to to sit back in the background with a friend of mine on the local afternoon show here as he interviewed frank reich and you know couldn't get any names out of him uh, you know we got bell running around there we've also got uh some big names they're obviously they're not going to draft a quarterback uh, but couldn't get any names out of him or ballard as far as who are you looking at here at the combo what, combine? What are you looking at? And that's kind of been the theory, the theme of, across all the teams. They're very tight-lipped. They're not really, uh, you know, to quote Frank Reich in the interview yesterday, he was just saying, hey, we're here to evaluate all the candidates. We're here to take our time. We're going to take the process. We're going to take our time to decide. So we, we don't have any clearer picture of who the Colts are going to be looking at for the draft. Obviously, we feel like the Colts are, are, are back, but Kyler Murray uh, is the, the, the star at, at the Combine this week, and he was being very tight-lipped. And when asked uh, him in, in the press conference that he did uh, about the Cardinals thinking that he's going to go number one overall, obviously we know that he turned down a huge baseball contract uh, and will pay some of that money back. But nonetheless, he decided that he was going to go into the NFL, and I'm sure part of that decision-making was the thought that he would go number one overall. So you got to look at Josh Rosen. So when they ask him about the Arizona Cardinals, what his only reply, politically correct reply to be, is like, I'm here at the Combine to give my best effort, and I hope to, I, to give my best to – whatever NFL team uh, I end up with. And, and I, I am here just to do my best at the combine. So no, no word from him as, as far as him thinking that he's going to be at uh, the Cardinals, but I think that's a, a popular thing of thinking. So as we look at the combine, uh, you know, I know that every part of their, their body is measured except for their penis. I think that's the only thing that's not measured, <laughs> but Hey, <laughs> We, we saw the wide receivers and running backs yesterday. That was kind of fun to hang out on the field and, and watch them do the run a lot faster than I could ever run. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into the NFL combine. And, you know, uh, there's the psychological uh, questions, interviews, whatever. There's the closed door interviews with the, that the teams do. And there's also an open uh, interview that the teams do. Of course, we know about the drills that are very, very publicly there. And Rich Eisen was there. Rich Eisen uh, actually did his show this week from Indianapolis. 
So talk with us a little bit about what the NFL Combine is and why this is so important as we prepare for the NFL draft. Well, you know, obviously it gives, you know, coaches and team executives an up-close view at, you know, some of the uh, guys that are available to be drafted. And um, it it, it almost – the Combine now has almost become, because I think it's a little bit later than it has been in the past, uh, the last couple of years, it's been kind of spilling into March and used to be kind of the end of February. But I think it almost signals a, a chance now to kind of get the engine started on the new league year, which is March 13th. You know, that they're going to come out of uh, the combine there in Indy, and you're going to have about 10 days or so to, uh, you know, to get ready for the new league year. So this is an opportunity for all the team executives to be in one place to kind of uh, start hatching any kind of trade plans that might be available. It's a, it's a way to kind of see who is available among these college kids to who you might want to draft and uh, you might fall in love with somebody and say, okay, well now that will make somebody on the current roster expendable. Can we trade him? So, I mean, it really has become kind of the winter meetings uh, that you have in baseball. Um, This combine has kind of become a more than just the combine. It's sort of like a winter meetings uh, situation for these executives to talk. So uh, I think it's a lot of things. And, um, it's really interesting to kind of watch and see all the, like you said, the measurements. Some of it seems a little ridiculous, but uh, you know, it is uh, it is something that uh, is an evaluation tool, and uh, teams do use it, and they fall in love with players for better or worse. I, I know that this um, it was that Metcalf, DJ Metcalf, is that his name, the kid garnering uh, who, who's got that one percent, DK Metcalf. He's got like one yes, right, percent body fat, and you know, you see from Oklahoma, yeah, him. I mean. It, yeah, yeah, he looks like, you know, a before and after shot for some muscle, you know, bodybuilding <laughs> magazine or something. If you take this supplement, this is what you'll look like, and this is what you look like before. So, I mean, somebody might fall in love with that guy. And, he, you know, he's been injured the last couple of years. He's struggled with injuries, but it's hard to argue that at 6'3", you know, 220 pounds with a physique like his, that he could find himself a first-round draft pick. And, you know, so for players, if you look at it from their point of view, this combine is a chance for them to show what they can do and how they look and how they measure and how they stack up against some of the players at their positions. Uh, so, I, you know, I think this is just a great time of year. Indianapolis, to me, is lucky to have it. I know they've moved the draft around to different cities, and um, but I just think it's a, it's a great showcase, too, for Indianapolis to, to have the combine. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's great because it's – not, it's not summertime, it's not springtime, so it's kind of cold here in Indianapolis. The great thing about it is they can walk from pretty much indoor anywhere that they want to go to, uh, for the most part, except for the, the Lucas Oil itself. And, you know, you mentioned how, it's, how the, the teams kind of gather together, and it's really interesting to see, of course, when you go out on that field, it's really awesome anyway, and there's no fans there. It's not really open to the public per se, uh, but you'll see just – scattered throughout at various levels, people scouts with binoculars, uh, sitting there taking notes. And you saw Chris Ballard and, and Frank Reich, you know, sitting together and don't know what they're talking about, but they were pointing and writing stuff down. So there's a lot that goes into the thought pattern. We saw some owners there. We saw a glimpse of Jim say We saw some other owners there. One we did not see for obvious reasons was Bob Kraft. What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> uh, I, I had to get it in there, brother. Uh, I had to get it well, in. Uh, <laughs> that's a loaded question you got there. Um, listen, I mean, <laughs> I guess he, you know he's an older man who uh, likes the company of escorts, and uh, he got caught 
uh, trying to buy buy sex. I mean, uh, and that's a crime. Uh, but it's just interesting that it's the Patriots. You know, they have all these different gates going with the. I've seen headlines that said it's uh, Inflate Gate or uh, instead of the Deflate Gate with the balls, they call it the Inflate yeah. Gate with Kraft. So, uh, you know, I think. Look, you, yeah, I guess he broke the law, but you know, it's it's not like uh, that kind of thing's a big secret. It's out there, and he just got caught in the sting. And um, it's, I know there are a lot of Patriot haters out there, so they're really enjoying this. Yeah, and and, and here's the thing: there's two components to this. First of all. If we're going to legalize marijuana, which I don't partake in either, and I don't partake in prostitution, I think there's, there's, it's, it's too easy to come by for free. But if you've got to pay for it and you're a billionaire, okay, but why not make it legal? You know, in, in European countries and stuff where it is legal, it's heavily taxed. It's, it's heavily monitored. You have to have a license. You know, it's like a bartender. You've got to have a license, you, and you'll be inspected. And so I think it's a good way for the government to make some money. I think it, but the other component of this, which is a sad component of, of this, um, is the human trafficking uh, part of it all, which is how he got busted, is that the, the, the federal and local authorities were doing an investigation into human tra- trafficking, and that's how he got, he got busted. Now, that's the sad part about it. But I have heard from everybody that I've heard from that Robert Kraft, is not being investigated for any human trafficking. He didn't know it was human trafficking. I mean, uh, no pun intended, because I know we're in a, a politically se- sensitive world, but it's like going into a Mexican restaurant, and, and do you know if that's a legal uh, immigrant or an illegal immigrant? We don't know, but, but we still buy our Mexican right. food. So the, the, the thing is, he did – what we do know is that he did – what we think we know is that he didn't know, and if he did know, that's a whole different story and a whole different conversation that, that we should be having. Uh, but you know, it, I, I think it was funny, though, at the, uh, in the morning of one of the times he was taped was the AFC championship game against the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> so he had a happy ending at the beginning of the day and a happy ending at the end of the day, I guess. But <laughs> Yeah. So a lot that, of happy endings. That part <laughs> Yeah, that part that part was comical. The whole thing is about the human trafficking is no joke, so we won't take that seriously. But that said, that said from what all the legal people that they they were people were surprised that he actually went and pled not guilty and set it for trial. Maybe if you're that rich, you know you can beat the rap, but he does have a good, some good legal arguments, and some of those legal arguments – I was listening to Clay Travis this week, and they were talking to some lawyers, um, and uh, Adam Sheff also echoed this, that the, the authorities uh, did a fake bomb threat for that whole strip mall area, uh, evacuated everybody in that massage parlor and other businesses, and then air quotes to clear the, the building – they went in there and installed secret cameras for this to investigate this human trafficking event. They then would begin to pull people over as the pull people over as they left the massage parlor, um, get their license and ID. They pulled over Robert Kraft's driver and also asked for the ID of Robert Kraft, which in most states it's illegal unless you believe that the passenger has committed some sort of crime. Robert Kraft was saying, I'll, I'll cooperate. Here's my ID, da, 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 da. And that's how they found out that that's who that was on the tape. And apparently TMZ has a, has a tape. I don't want to see it. And if they release it, I'm not going to watch it. But apparently TMZ does have the actual tape. And it's pretty graphic of Robert Kraft 
engaging in some sexual activities. But there's a lot of cases for entrapment here and that he very well might beat the rap. That said, um, what kind of black eye or tarnish? I know us New England Patriot haters love this, but already his son is already pretty much taken over day-to-day operations. Do you think this is going to put a permanent taint on the Kraft family, on the New England Patriots? Or is this just something people get over like they got over Jim Mercy and his DUI? Uh, uh, that's interesting. I, I don't think. I mean, I think it will leave a leave a, a, a taint or something on the Kraft family. I, you know, just because of the way the New England Patriots have, you know, that the way that organization's been run and the success that they've had. And if it was another owner, which we saw with Ursay, it did kind of blow over because they don't, you know, the Colts just don't have the same success that the Patriots have. No team in the NFL has. So yeah, I think because the Patriots being, you know, in the limelight because of all their success and because of the infractions that they've had before with the Spygate, you know, cheating, taping other teams, uh, you know, work th- uh, walkthroughs and, you know, with Tom Brady and his deflate gate, you know, how long has that been going on? You know, the, the destruction of evidence in the Spygate by Roger Goodell. So nobody could really see exactly how deep that's that spying and cheating went, you know, I think all of that. And now this, I mean, I think all that, yeah, it's It'll linger. Uh, for a long time, and it'll probably be talked about when Tom Brady gets into the Hall of Fame. Certainly, the Deflate Gate will be, and you know maybe the Kraft thing comes up too, and how this organization was run, and at, at what point, the, you know, at, at what cost does success come? And you know we've seen it with a couple of uh, controversies here. So I, yeah, I don't think this is going to blow over uh, at all, uh, just because it is uh, Bob Kraft and it is the New England Patriots. Looking at the free agency, and before we let you go here, and got to wrap it up and put a bubble in it, but when we look at the free agency, we know that Nick Foles obviously is a hot commodity. You look at Trent Brown, you look at Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, as, as what, what are some of your thoughts, and who, who, who should these teams be focusing in on uh, for Bell and uh, 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 Brainfart, the other guy from Pittsburgh? I'm so sorry. Antonio Brown. Over the other guy. Yes, the Antonio, Antonio Brown, Brown. AB. Yeah. 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 Uh, another hot commodity. I, we, we, there again, uh, in the conversation that I listened to yesterday with Frank Wright, not giving up any names at this point, not telling us or, or hinting to any how Ballard's and, and Reich and Ursay's going to do in the free agency. So we don't know, but what are your thoughts if you're the Colts, if you're the Eagles, if you're – Insert team here. Who do you think is the hottest commodities in the free agency this year? Well, Antonio Brown, you have to trade for him. So he's a different kind of commodity. You you can't just sign him to a contract. The Steelers have to agree uh, to trade him, which it seems like they will. But, yeah, I, I think Le'Veon Bell is, uh, you know, he, he's the big name out there, um, you know, bigger than Foles even. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he lands. You know, will it be with the Jets or with Tampa? And, you know, I've had discussions on Twitter with fans, you know, because I think he'd be great in in Philadelphia. He'd certainly be great in Indianapolis. Um, But how many teams have won a Super Bowl with that one feature back? Um, How how often has that happened? I mean, you know, obviously the Patriots skew things because they really haven't had that one premier back. And when the Eagles won it, they had kind of that rotation with Blunt and Corey Clement and – uh, I'm forgetting someone in there, unfortunately, but yeah. oh, Jay Ajayi. So, uh, but you know, so really is a feature back that 
does he really help put a team over the top? And, you know, I argue that he, he would um, because he can do more than just run the ball. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. You look at his reception total in the two previous seasons, obviously not 2018 because he didn't play, but in 2016 and 2017, you know, he, he caught a, a ton of passes out of the backfield. So, you know, he gives you production more than just running the football. So uh, I think he's head and shoulders, the, the premier free agent uh, in this group uh, coming out. So, you know, you talk about Frank Reich really not tipping his hand. You know, I think the Colts need edge rusher. Uh, you know, they need some defensive line help, I think. You know, uh, pass rushers. Uh, that's why I thought maybe Brandon Graham might make some sense for them had he hit the free agent market with the connection that, you know, Reich has to Philadelphia or even Andy Reid in Kansas City uh, could use some help rushing the passer. Every team could use help rushing the passer. Um, but there's a lot of edge rushers in this draft. And, you know, I think defense uh, at the combine starts on Sunday. So we're going to start seeing some of the D-line and some of these edge rushers. And, you know, I've seen mock drafts that have, have, had, have had edge rushers like seven of the first 10 picks have been to pass rushers. So, uh, you know, anybody that's on the free agent market, if it's going to be Frank Clark, uh, he's more of a D tackle. And I'm not sure that the Seahawks will tag him or not. There's talk that they will. Teams have until March 5th to tag players, which I think is, what, uh, Tuesday. Um, so teams have until Tuesday. If Frank Clark's available, he'll become a premium free agent. Same with Demarcus Lawrence for the Cowboys. If they don't tag him and they don't come to a contract, Demarcus Lawrence would be a big name. Um, D Ford uh, it would become a big name. So those are the guys uh, that would become big names too, should they hit the market and aren't tagged because edge rushers are always at a premium, even though there's a lot of them in the draft. So that's kind of what, I, you know, the way I see it. And, you know, Frank Reich doesn't tip his hand. No team really wants to tip their hand what they need. I, you just have to, as a, as a reporter or a fan, you have to look at what that biggest need is and you hope that they can fill that need at some point in the draft. And, um, you know, that's kind of how I watch the combine is I know what the Eagles need. So I kind of watch it through an Eagles prism when I'm viewing this, you know, what players would make the most sense. Um, and that's the way any of Indianapolis should do it too, is just kind of say, okay, what does this team really need? And then kind of focus on that skill group or that position group when you're watching the combine. Ed Kratz, as always, it's an honor to have you on board uh, with us. Uh, sorry, Mo couldn't join us. Our thoughts and prayers go up to him and his yeah. family. Uh, his son For is sure. in the hospital, in Children's Hospital there in Ohio. They expect to maybe come home today or tomorrow. Uh, and I don't have all the details, but I wouldn't share them even if I did. But uh, thoughts and prayers to Mo, and uh, we appreciate you joining us, Ed. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? My pleasure, Tom. Thanks. Uh, Twitter, at uh, Kratze, K-R-A-C-Z-E, or you can check my site, uh, footballmaven.io slash eagles. And, um, you know, it's a little slow right now, but things are picking up with the combine. Because, like I said, it's like the winter meetings. Uh, it really kind of kicks right. off, in my eyes, the new, the new league year, even though it officially doesn't start to March 13th at 4 o'clock. But, you know, once that date comes, there's always a list of transactions. Like t- Teams are already talking to these free agents. Um, and then once that four o'clock deadline hits, boom, there's going to be a wave of action from teams across the league and, you know, rosters will begin to be reconstructed and, uh, hopes that it'll all end up in the Super Bowl for one of these teams. That's right. It all starts also in April for the, for the, uh, 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 draft. And then we're just a few yep. weeks after that, we're getting into OTAs. My gosh, 
Yeah, football's never back, ever. right? Beautiful. Football's back. Yes, All right, buddy. We'll yeah. talk with you soon. You have right, yourself a good weekend. Yes, sir. Right, you too. Ed Kratz, official beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official NFL contributor. That we got to wrap it up, put a bow on it, fellas. That's right. Uh, thank you to Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, talking some IndyCar uh, with us as well as uh, some college hoopage. Uh, thanks to Steve Wilson for not feeling good, but still calling in and talking with us a little bit about NASCAR, giving us a recap of Atlanta and what's to happen in Vegas today. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagle, joined us just now to talk with us about the NFL Combine, free agency, and the like, if you will. My name is Tom Marquez, El Presidente. Don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.